Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. Good to uh, be with you all. Um, Yes, my windows are down in my car. Thank you for all those who uh, shared that with me. I went and picked up gas yesterday in cans and uh, got into my car this morning and I was like, yes, I definitely went to go pick up gas in my can in cans. So I'm trying to get rid of a smell. That's why they are down. But realistically, it's probably not much difference between windows up and windows down when you get back in the car when it's 19 degrees outside. Um, so uh, real quick before we get into the message, uh, tonight is, again is our encounter nights. If you've not been to one of our encounter nights, I would really encourage you to come. Um, there are amazing spaces that we've created. Um, I'm sharing tonight about my own testimony, uh, about my own interactions uh, with, the, with the Holy Spirit, and just being kind of led through this journey of life, um, beginning even as a child. And so if, I would just encourage you, if you've not been to an encounter night to come, if you are, um, you know, you've been at Washington and you're kind of watching what's happening and you're wondering where it's going, come tonight. Some of those questions will be answered. Um, you know, if you're wondering why are we doing what we're doing, those questions will also be answered. But um, I, I had an opportunity to go back over. So I, I started, in 2020, I started a journal. Well, I, I started long before that, but I specifically tracking certain things, movements of God. And I went back through those notes to get ready for the talk tonight that I'm going to give, and it was 38 pages of notes that I had um, of stories. And so I had to like pick and choose out of there what to share, and, they, and it, it was such a gift just to go back over the, the notes for me. So it, it's, um, anyway, would love for you to be there. We're in a series right now on, on identity. Um, overall, this year, we're talking about cultivating space. So how do we create space for God in our lives? to allow God to do what God wants to do in our lives. And so this month, we're talking about identity. Um, we're going to go a little bit into December on, on identity, but um, that's where we're at this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, you're welcome to listen to the messages uh, online, on podcasts, uh, before leading up to this that we've talked about. Um, all good stuff. You can find that wherever you find normal podcasts on, on Apple or Spotify or those places. Um, I had a, a great opportunity to hang out with my dad in September. Um, my, I did not grow up, um, as an adult, I've never been around my parents. I'll say that, okay? So uh, they live on the West Coast, I live in the Midwest, I see them um, usually once a year for about five to six days. We take the kids out and we have family that's there, my parents are there, Anne's uh, dad is there, and, and, but we both have siblings that are there. And so we spend about a week with my side of the family and a week with her side of the family um, every summer. But other than that, I, I left the house at 18 and I haven't been back for the most part. And um, so my, my dad and I started connecting or reconnecting and I'd been wanting to, to spend more time with him. But obviously being on, on diff two different places, um, six, you know, five hours on an airplane away or, or at least three or four days of driving away, we haven't hung out a lot. And um, probably three years ago, three or four years ago, we started spending more intentional time together and we got to go on some trips. And then I started inviting him to come on these dirt bike trips with me uh, that I do with, with some friends and, and we load stuff on bikes and we um, take off into the middle of nowhere and 
These are all off-road trips, so they're not on normal roads. And at one point we realized, um, somebody said, like, why don't we just have somebody else carry all our stuff for us instead of, because uh, we'd carry everything on our bikes. We'd have these little dirt bikes, and we'd have, you know, backpacks and sleeping bags and tents and everything we needed to live off of we carried with us. And one year we didn't do that, and we realized how much more fun it is not to have all that weight with you. And so my dad has agreed to, to drive the vehicle um, to do that. And so he was just out in September, and we did a trip up in Michigan. It was a lot of fun. But it was fascinating because, again, not growing up around my, my parents as an adult, um, when my dad was here, we, we would, uh, we, you know, we shared a tent together, and so we're together a lot, and we're in conversations, and, and he's getting to know, um, you know, friends of mine. But there were several times during the trip where I was, like, super annoyed at my dad. All that to say, and hopefully dad won't listen to this message. Um, but he would do things, and I'd be like, why is he, that's, like, so weird. Why is he doing those things? And, or he'd say something, and I'd be like, that's really awkward, dad. Why are you saying that? Um, and I got home, you know, dad, again, grateful that he came, got back on, the, on a plane, flew out, dropped him off at the airport. It was all great. I came home, and, and I, I went to my wife, and I was like, telling her about these things that my dad was doing. And I was like, do I do any of these things? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, dang it. And, uh, and I just thought it was so fascinating that, and not a surprise, right? Like, we, we become like our parents. Amen. That's just how it goes, like for better or for worse. Um, and it, it becomes a default thing unless, like, you work at it really hard. Like, the things that you inherit from, from your mom and your dad. Um, some of the things are great and some of the things are not so great. And some of the things we spend the rest of our life in counseling working on, you know, because that's, that is, uh, that's life. Um, but this morning, what I want to talk to you about is this, that it is God's desire to make you like Jesus, to make you like his son. And that, here's the good news. That's happening to you, whether you are working at it or not. But it's also a partnership. It goes both ways. So something, and we'll get into, we're going to look at several scripture passages that talk about this. That Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and then Paul is talking to the church in Rome. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians, we'll be in 2 Corinthians, and we'll, we'll be in Romans chapter 8. But um, it's such a, such a gift to know this truth. And so I, I want to communicate this to, to us this morning as a church community, so that we would know this truth. Here's a, a, a scripture passage. Actually, Ann and I were talking about this, um, this message, and she pointed this out. And so I, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, this is brilliant. It's 1 John 3, 2. It says this. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love that, that idea, like what you are fully going to be, you don't even know what it is yet. You don't even see it yet. It's way greater than you can imagine, which is super comforting. Because I think a lot of us don't have a really positive view of ourselves sometimes, or we can struggle with that identity. How we see ourselves, how God sees us, all those things are interwoven. And yet at the end of it, John says, and I think from personal experience, he's saying, but guess what? You're going to be like Jesus. That is God's end game plan for us. That's what he wants. He wants each and every one of us to look like Jesus. 
and to be like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to function in that way. And that, in fact, that's what we were created to be like. But at the core of our purpose lies the truth of our identity. So our true identity is to be like Jesus, but that's also our purpose in life. And those things are interwoven together. And as we live into that truth, we begin to see that take hold. We begin to see that manifest in different ways. And, and if you've ever had that glimpse of it where you're like, wow, that's amazing. It's so inspiring that it, it spurs you on to even more and to want more of that. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. That's the first place we're going to be. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth as he's teaching them about what it means to be followers of Jesus. Now, Corinth was a place, a super interesting place, filled with all kinds of uh, pagan religions and massive temples that were there that people worshipped at. And then what happened was that the gospel began to do what the gospel does, which is infiltrate dark places and bring light. And so that began to happen, and people began to give their lives to Jesus. They began to realize that Jesus was the Lord and Savior, and they began to turn their lives over to Jesus. But as we all know, we bring baggage with us when we do that into our faith. We don't just, I wish it was the case, where we gave our lives to Christ, and we literally stepped into this new place where everything was, was perfectly fine and dealt with, and we had no issues that we brought with us from the past. Though we know that's not the case. We bring with us the old, and so Paul talks about that, how we have to, to die to that, we have to surrender to that, that old self, that old, old ways. And we talked last week about the issue of sin and how sin has been defeated literally in our lives. So that no longer is the major problem. The major problem is our realization of the truth of, of how God sees us and what we're being invited into. So this is what Paul says. Uh, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. So Paul has this contrast between what he calls natural and he calls spiritual. Right? And he uses the illustration of, of the natural man, and what he's referring to is, is the first human beings, Adam and Eve, that represent humanity as a whole. Right? And he's talking about those human beings, and essentially what he's saying about those human beings is they lived um, and were, were formed from the earth. We read in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that, that God made human beings from the dust to the ground and breathed life into them, but he also made, him, made them, man and woman, in God's image. He created them. And so I, I love this, this image that I've read in a book or came forward, and, and that is that, that all of creation has the fingerprint of God on it. Therefore, all of creation is sacred and bears the mark of God. But not all creation is aware of the truth of who Jesus is. Their eyes haven't been opened to that. That's where faith comes into play. And so he has this contrast between um, the, the natural man or the earthly man and the heavenly man. And so what Adam and Eve were not able to do, their call that they had, Jesus was able to accomplish and do. And so literally God became like us, this is what Christmas season is about, and became a human being and lived a perfect life, modeling what it was like for humanity to be humanity, 
the intended purpose of humanity was what God wanted was for humanity to be like Jesus was. And, and for many of us, we, we can say, yeah, amen, that's great. But we disconnect ourselves from that reality, thinking that only Jesus could be that way. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scripture actually says we are to live into that reality and to be like Jesus. Okay? And when we read scripture passages, we're going to read this one and then two more. And each, in each one of them, it says that we are to be like Jesus. That's not a token thing. Or that's not a suggestion. Or that's not like a pie-in-the-sky dream. That's the reality to which Paul understood the call of what it meant to be human and a follower of Jesus, was to become more and more like Jesus. So there's a couple words I want to point out here. He says that we shall bear the image. That word bear in Greek means to carry or wear like clothing or like armor. So literally, we put it on. We clothe ourselves in it. So we are to be like Jesus in that way, to put it on. And then he's in that that word image there is in Greek the word icon, which is literally where we get our word icon from. Like worshiping, we look in the Old Testament and they had icons or idols um, <clears throat> that represented the gods that they worshiped. It's a, it's, that's the same word. That's what it means. And so literally what Paul is saying is that we bear an image, we put this on, and we are to be the icon of God in this world. So like other uh, religions create statues and, and form um, things to make it look like their God. There, there's actually, a, like right across the street, there, there's a person who lives there, and, and at some point I need to go have a conversation with them, but they have a Buddha statue that sits on the front porch, all right? And that is, it's supposed to be in the likeness of, of Buddha. And we see this in different countries. It's more prevalent in other countries. If you travel to, especially third world countries, there's all kinds of things that are created to look like the gods or represent the gods. That's all the same word, icon, okay, in the Greek. And what Paul is saying here, and I want you to get this, is that God has an icon as well. Something that looks like God, that represents God to people. That's you. You are the icon of the living God. And that's what Paul's saying here. And we bear that. We carry that with us. We put that on. And we go and we live out into the world and we represent that to people. Here's the other thing that's really fascinating about this passage and the other passages. Paul, throughout this whole time, uses the first person plural form, which all you English majors know what that means, of course, right? It's we. And so it's important for us to remember that that the process of becoming like Jesus happens in the we spaces. Happens in the individual spaces, but corporately, it's important to know that you need to be a part of a body of Christ. You need to be integrated into a community. And in those spaces, you become more like Jesus. We, th- we live in a society and a culture that thinks we can do it on our own, but we can't. We were never intended to do it on our own. We were always created to do it in relationship to others. 2 Corinthians 3 is the second passage we're going to look at. Again, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. This is what he says. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed. Because only in Christ is it taken away. 
Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hey, that's a massive passage. When we read this passage, we we should be taken back to the book of, of Exodus. So Exodus 34. There's a story there in which Moses encounters the Lord. He goes up on the mountain to meet God face to face. And this is after God has brought the the Hebrews out of of slavery in Egypt. And he brings them to to Mount Sinai where he connects with his people. And Moses goes up and he makes that connection. And he spends time, 40 days with the Lord. And it's not just 40 days, but it's ongoing. But what's fascinating about the story that most of us forget is before Moses goes up on the mountain, there's an interaction that he has with the people. And the people essentially say to him, because... If you read this, the, the fine print, you begin to realize that God called everybody up. That every single person was called. But when they saw the thunder and they saw the fire up on the mountain, they, were, they became scared and they basically said, no, 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 Moses, you go for us. And in that moment, humanity at the time separated themselves and decided on a represent, representation. And that's not, that wasn't the plan. And so Moses goes, because he wants to keep this thing going, this movement, and he goes up and, and is with God. But the, the intent and the plan was for everybody to be a part of that process. So he goes up and he comes back, and surprise, surprise, he's different. He's physically changed. His presence and countenance is so intense, literally glowing, that he has to put a veil over his face because people can't like, be in his presence or see him or, or look at him because it's, it's so much to bear. And that all came from being in the presence of God. Okay? And, and we don't really get the whole veil thing because we don't, we don't do that aside from weddings. Or, or actually a great example would be if you've ever welded something. Um, you've got to put something over your eyes to keep from, from the, the, the spark and the fire from, from burning your eyes. Um, but for the most part, we don't wear veils. That's not a common thing. In, in the Middle East, they, they have veils and they wear and they cover parts of their face or they only have their eyes exposed. But in this instance, that's what happens. So Moses covers his face in order to interact with the people because the people can't handle or they've chosen to say no to experiencing God in this way. Okay? And this is, this is what Paul's drawing on when he's talking to the church in Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians. Um, and so that, that's what, what's taking place. But what's fascinating is that Paul says that we have unveiled faces. So he's he's showing this contrast between Moses spending time with the Lord and making this connection and being transformed and being different. Like Moses was physically different, so he had to put a veil over his face. And what Paul says is, we don't have that veil over our faces. That we are to connect with the Lord and be transformed into his image, but we don't have veils over our faces. And then he goes on to use that word contemplate. And then the scriptures, you, you probably have a note next to that word. That word contemplate can mean carried or ponder, but it also means to reflect. So literally he's saying we reflect the glory of God. That that's the call for us as Christians and followers of Jesus. Because we are in the presence of God. He says we're being transformed, which is where we get our word metamorphosis from. That same word is, is used 
to mean change into another form, but it's also used in Matthew 17.2 to describe Jesus when Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the, literally the, the, the disciples, his disciples can't find words to describe Jesus' appearance, and they, they call it white or bleached white. It's, the Greek has this note, and it takes you to these other kind of manuscripts to try and describe that, but essentially what they're saying is that same transformation that happened in the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Paul's saying is to be taking place in you as you connect and grow in your walk with Jesus. And that when you have those experiences, you are to go out into the world, not with a face that's veiled, but a face that's unveiled, so that the people around you can see the movement of God in your life. Because remember, at Mount Sinai, they couldn't handle it. Moses had to wear a veil. But here, God's saying, no, 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 take it out with reckless abandon. Go and live your lives, live your faith into the image, same word, icon, as before. So our calling is to reflect the glory of Jesus in this world. And when we do this, the veil of untruth is being removed from people and they begin to see. As we reflect his glory, we're being transformed into his image, and as we are being transformed into his image, is it affecting the people around us? See, it's a symbiotic circle. So we go into the presence of God, and we're transformed into that presence, and then we take that presence into the world, and as we share that presence, the presence of God with the world, we are transformed from sharing the presence. And we go back into the presence and receive the presence and take that out, and it's a circle, and all the while, what's happening is we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And that's the purpose. That's the end game. So no matter what you're doing in life, no matter where you are, you are to be showing the presence of God to the people around you. That's actually your identity and calling. That's the purpose for which you've been created. Not only to work, and, and in doing that, that glorifies God. And so when we do that, and it, it could be, at home with our families. It could be in our, our relationships with our spouses. It could be at work with our coworkers. It could be at school for those of you who are students. And we go into those spaces, we are literally taking the very presence of God into those spaces and we are infiltrating those spaces in the way God wants to have happen. So if, if you're somebody who's sitting there and your prayer is, Lord, I, I want you to do something about this I wonder how many times God's answer is, it's you. You're my answer. Okay, go for it. I had that experience several times. I'm going to talk about that tonight at, at the encounter night. But so many times I think as followers of Jesus, we don't recognize not only the potential of what lives in us, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, but also how God wants to use us to move things forward. That's the plan. And always been has been all along, and he says that this will take place from ever-increasing glory. And Literally, in the Greek, it says, from glory to glory. And so you've probably heard that phrase, that we move from glory to glory. See, there was glory when we first gave our lives to Jesus, that God brought us into glory. But then there's an ever-increasing glory that we walk in and we deepen in. See, I remember um, growing up as a kid, and I'd come across gospel tracts every once in a while. And the gospel tract always ended at somebody giving their life to Jesus. And, I, and that's just what I knew. I didn't know any better until I came across a gospel track where giving your life to Jesus was the middle of the track. And I was like, whoa, that's a novelty. There's actually stuff to do after you give your life to Jesus? That's amazing. 
I mean, think about that. For how many, gosh, 100 years, these tracks have looked the same. And, but what I tell you is, is I would probably move the, the, the experience with giving your life to Christ from the center of the gospel track to the far left. So the first, first quarter is you and your life and find your way to Jesus, but the last two-thirds plus is what God does in you after you have an encounter with the Lord. And that's what we have to realize. It's not about coming to Jesus and being like, okay, I'm good. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's glory. And then you move to gl- from glory to glory to glory. And the more we put ourselves out there and the more we, we unveil our faces, the more God uses us and the deeper we go in Christ. Because in order to do that, we have to rely on Jesus more and more. And that's exactly what God wants out of us. That's the invitation that we have. The final passage we're going to look at is Romans 8. And then we're going to take communion together this morning. It says this, Romans 8, verse 29. Paul speaking to the church in Rome. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Here's the crazy thing. God knew and desire, desired that you would be like Jesus before you even existed. It's mind-blowing. Actually, we can't wrap our minds around it. It's beyond us. But it's the truth. For each and every one of you is the invitation. God knew that. And he says that he called us. <clears throat> we use the word like foreknew and predestined, but he knew ahead of time. And then it says that he justified you. So literally, and this is what we talked about last week with, in regards to sin. What does justification mean? It means to be made right. And so God, in, through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and our, and our reception of that truth, God puts us in a place where he sees us as justified. He actually sees us like Jesus. And so that's one of the things that we need to do is we need to stop seeing ourselves in other ways that are unhealthy and don't move us forward into what God has for us. But literally, he sees us as justified. He sees us as right. And then he goes on to say, and then he glorifies us. He transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. And that is the gift. To literally be conformed into the image of God. So when we think about that word, to be conformed into something, immediately it takes me back to the playground in elementary school. And how many times are we conformed into something that's actually not helpful or not healthy because we want to fit in to the others around us? And so we literally change who we are to be more accepted by others. Here's the beautiful aspect of it. It doesn't work that way with God. It's actually the opposite. We are accepted for who we are, and, and as we learn that truth that we are accepted, then we begin to be conformed. And again, that's happening to us whether we recognize it or not. So it's a, get, it's a two-way street. One, that, that confirmation, being conformed in the likeness of Jesus, is, that is God's plan that's happening in your life. So that's taking place. And then on another level, we're being invited to join in. And I believe we can actually increase <clears throat> how we are conformed and the speed at which we are conformed based on how we respond. And the more we respond, the more we open ourselves up to the movement of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit, the quicker that being conformed takes place and the deeper that goes. But that's the end game. That's the desire of God. This is our glorification process 
to be jointly fashioned and to become of the same form in the likeness of Jesus. Now, how do we do this? What does this look like in tangible ways? How do we allow this to happen? How do we submit ourselves to it? But also, how do we join in? I would ask the question, how does anything change in life? If you want to change something in your life, what do you do? The old adage, if nothing changes, nothing changes, is absolutely true. So it's not about sitting there and saying, okay, God, conform me into the likeness of Jesus while I sit here on the couch and watch football all day. It doesn't, I wish it would work that way. It actually, it does work that way in a, in a sense, but, but the partnership on your part is, is sorely lacking if that's what, you know, your Sunday evenings look like instead of maybe coming to encounter night, just a <laughs> shameless plug. But uh, here's a simple thing. If you want to become rich, what do you do? You study people who, who have made money. You hang out with people that have, know how to make money. If you want to get better at, at a trade or you want to get better at a sport, what do you do? You submit yourselves, you apprentice yourselves to a trade and you learn. The same thing's true when walking with Jesus. The disciples used to have, have a term, it, would, it was called to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because in that culture, they actually lived, disciples lived with their teacher, their rabbi. In Jesus' time, Jesus was a rabbi, he had disciples. And there was a, a phrase, to be covered in the dust. And what that meant was that I, I followed my rabbi so closely behind them that the, that the dust that they kicked up with their sandals would cover you. And everywhere they'd go, you would go. And everything they did, you would try to do. That's why Peter gets out of the boat and tries to walk on water. Why? Because his rabbi did it. And if his rabbi did it, he thinks he can do it. We kind of miss that in, in the cultural aspect of it. One of the things I'd encourage you to do, somebody encouraged me to do it once, is to steep yourselves in the Gospels, to read the life of Jesus on a weekly basis, at least, if not daily. And you begin to take in and, and look at Jesus' Jesus's life and how he responds, not just from, okay, I'm reading the scriptures, but to look at it as though you are in that scene and you're putting yourself in that space. Because guess what? You're going to find yourself in like spaces. And you're going to find yourself in confrontations. You're going to find yourself where you're going to have to give a response or an answer. You're going to find a, a place that mimics or is similar to how Jesus was. And what you do, literally, is you're studying Jesus. What does he say? What are his priorities? How does he respond? And how do you translate that into your work situation or your life situation or your relationship situation? And you try to be in every way that you can like Jesus. Because that's what God wants for you. That's what the Father desires, is to be that in that way. Because it's the Father's good and perfect will to conform you into the likeness of Jesus. That's the end game. That's what God wants. And if we are to embrace this idea of identity and wrestle with this concept of what does it mean, um, who are we, this is, this is it. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is how it's supposed to go. And so as we submit ourselves to this, but also partner in it, more and more we, we begin to see change happen. And as we see change happen, that, that gets, at least for me, it, there's an excitement around that and a passion that begins to grow. And it makes you, makes you even more invested and more doubled down. You begin to trust God in new and, and amazing ways. And you'll see what God begins to do. Because again, this is what God wants. Now, it doesn't mean everything's going to flow and be easy, because often the deeper you go, the harder things become. 
And that's a, that's a message for another time. But even in that hardship and that frustration, even in the struggle of the sin in your life, all of that is a part of the formation of making you like Jesus. Because God uses all of it. And that's the gift. It's hard, but it's the gift. And I know that many followers of Jesus have a mentality, and I've seen it time and time again, and I wrestled with this at one point, and that was, I give my life to Jesus, and my life's just going to flow and be easy from that point on. Well, as you know, no growth happens from flow and easy. If you look at any part of your life, the greater transformation of becoming who you are happened in hardship and strife. So that plays a role in there as well. I want to put up this this, uh, phrase as we come to communion this morning. It says this, It is the Father's will to conform you into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. As we come to the table... This is what I want to do. We're going to serve communion to each other. So if you're visiting at Washington Church, we do things a little little bit differently in many ways, but especially around communion. Um, I don't serve communion. I do that intentionally because I've seen enough abuses of communion. I've seen enough kind of power authority things around communion. And so we intentionally step away from the communion table. I'm happy to serve it, but I don't need to. In the same way, I don't do all the baptisms here because you are the kingdom of priests. And you are equipped just as much as I am to serve somebody else at the table. So we're going to serve each other um, this morning at the table. And as you come up, there's going to be somebody who's going to be here. And they're going to look you in the eye. And they're going to offer you the body and the blood of Christ. But they're going to speak these words over you. They're going to say to you, it is the Father's will to conform you into the likeness of his son, Jesus. And the only way that this can happen is that Jesus gave his life for us. Otherwise, none of this would be possible. And so he he hung on the cross, and he sacrificed his body, and he shed his blood so that we could be made right with God. And so after um, you are served, then you are going to take the elements, and you're going to turn around and serve the person who comes behind you. And you're going to speak these words to them as you offer the body and the blood of Christ. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Okay? As Jesus gathered with his followers in the upper room for the last supper, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he said, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you come together, remember me. Remember what I did for you. Remember what this act accomplishes. And so as we come to the table to receive the body and the blood of Christ, may we connect that with our identity of who we are. May we connect that with the reality of what we are becoming. And may you find hope in that. And if after taking communion, you need to just be encouraged or you need somebody to pray over you, I would just the prayer team can be available, but the person right next to you could do it too. And to be reminded, just say, pray over me. Would you pray that truth over me? Um, Can I ask anyone who wants to start? So I need two people there, one person here, one person there, one person there. We just need a person to start the whole thing off and then you can come back at the end. So if you want to just jump up and man the communion stations right now for me, please. One more. Thank you. I'm going to pray, and then you are uh, invited to come to the table. Again, as you receive um, from the people up up front, 
you'll hear them speak these words over you and then uh, it'll be and then they're going to step aside and then it's going to be your turn to speak to the person that comes next and on and on because not only do we need to hear these words spoken over us this truth spoken over us but it does something to us when we speak it over somebody else because I don't know what it is but it's oftentimes it's easier for us to say these truths to somebody else than it is to believe these truths for ourselves but both need to be as followers of Jesus and of those who are being created in the likeness of Jesus we need to be able to not only receive the truth because that's what we have to do first we have to receive that truth first into ourselves and then after we receive that truth then we are able to pass it along but if there's someone this morning if you're here this morning and and there's a blockage around your ability to receive that truth we want to pray for you and if you're here this morning if you've never given your life to Jesus this morning you can do that you can say yes to accept Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior say, God, I need you. Come into my life and transform me. Father, we thank you for the truth of who we are as we wrestle through this series on identity. And we look at your word and we see oftentimes that your word does not match our own mentality of our reality of how we see ourselves. So time and time again, we need to work at coming against the lies, coming against the half-truths, coming against the struggles in our lives, to recognize that we are invited into so much more, so much greater truth. Father, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here who's struggling with the truth of who they are, that you'd begin to remove that veil and pour your presence out on them, even right now, Jesus. Help us to believe the truth that we are not only created in your image, but we are being conformed, transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to receive that truth. We would be able to take it in. And even as we take these elements into our bodies, may that truth go into us, Lord, and transform us. We're so grateful, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray these things in your name. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.